Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Center and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm Nate Aiken, your host. I have with me my twin brother, John Aiken, as normal. And uh, it's just us this week as we continue our series uh, looking at hard texts and how they point to Christ. And we look today at 2 Kings 2, Elisha and the Bears, as John calls it. John, you've talked about this in some previous episodes, like it, it just on how to do Christ-centered preaching, but not maybe d- dug in as deep to this uh, text. So let's let's talk through it some. Give just a uh, give some background to it and a little summary for those that may not have uh, checked out Second Kings two lately. Yeah, so the, I mean, the main story itself is pretty short. It's just three verses. Um, Elisha goes up uh, to Bethel, and while he's on his trip, so the the way that ESV says it, some small boys come out of the city and jeer at him, saying, "Go up, Baldy! Go up, Baldy!" He turns around, curses them. Two female bears come out of the woods, maul 42 of the boys. And then from there, he goes to Carmel, and then and then he returns to Samaria. And so the, the actual story is pretty simple. He's at Bethel. These boys come out, seemingly make fun of his, his lack of hair, and um, and then he curses them, and, and they're mauled to death by bears. And so it's, it's a pretty stark story, and it's one of those stories yeah. that people who— our critics of Christianity will point out and say, man, look at that. Let's look how bloodthirsty the Old Testament is. It's in the context of Elijah ascending into heaven without dying and then and then passing his mantle to Elisha. Yeah, I want to ask questions of, around that. But first, like when you were, I mean, maybe not even a teenager yet, this story kind of shook you up. Why was that? Yeah, so when I was a teenager and, and had been encouraged to read the Bible for myself for the first time, I just started in the Old Testament. I actually started in First Samuel, and I'd read a chapter of the Bible every day. And so I read through First Samuel one, and then uh, through First Samuel and Second Samuel, First Kings. And I got to Second Kings, and when I read this, it really shook me up because our dad, um, who we love and revere, was starting to to see a receding hairline. And, and so the front of his hair looked like the state of Florida and you, I think it was you and Paul and Tim oh, started on. calling him peninsula head. And so come I was worried on. for y'all <laughs> that I when you make that, fun of a man of God's hair, it's bad news. Yeah. Well, I think that you were worried about your, yourself. Um, <laughs> I so, don't remember it that way. <laughs> so give me briefly your kind of main points of the text as you've, have you, as you've taught it, I want to come back to something you said. Uh, particularly about how unbelievers use this text against Christianity. But first is kind of what was your sort of straightforward breakdown of the text and maybe points? Yeah. So, so honestly, the way I set this story up, because it's so difficult, is I set it up the message a- as trying to preach, yes, but but teach my people how to read difficult passages. And so so I talked about, so the main point was, read the Bible like a detective searching for clues. And then I give four clues in the text. And so the clue, clue one is context. So you got to set the story in the proper context by reading what comes before it. Okay. And so what comes before it is this idea of Elijah who ascends into heaven without dying. He leaves his spirit on his disciple, Elisha, who then carries on his ministry after Elijah's gone, and it's a ministry of miracles that we see in the story. 
immediately preceding this where Jericho, which had been um, cursed after the Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. <laughs> and then now he reverses that curse. Um, and so that's so setting in context, how are we going to see how, what this story is about, how it points to Jesus? You've got to put it in context. Um, and then second, the clue number two is patterns. What are the patterns that we see in the text that show us the things that God is doing and the things that might point us forward to Jesus? And so, for example, I, I specifically drill down there on, you know, have you ever heard of a story before where a man of God's mission on earth was done? He ascends into heaven without dying. He leaves his spirit mm-hmm. on his disciples so that his disciple can continue his ministry after he's gone. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Pentecost. That's that's right. And in the same way that that Elijah says, or Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, um, scholars look at this and count these things. And there, there may be some ways to, like, you know, critique this. But basically, Elijah did 14 miracles. Elisha does 28 miracles in his ministry. And it's the same thing Jesus says, when I give you the spirit, you're going to do greater things uh, than I have done. And so what are those patterns that we're seeing in the text that that point us to Jesus? The third clue is our flashbacks. Um, a flashback is something that happened in the past that has um, significant impact on the current storyline. And in this in this story specifically, and I'll talk more about why that's important in a second, but uh, Elijah and Elisha are redoing the movements of the Exodus and the conquest in reverse. Um, mm. And so going to Jericho, crossing over uh, the Jordan, being... Um, on the east side of the Jordan in the plains of Moab, um, and then and then crossing over on dry ground. These are crossing over on dry ground. These are things that every Hebrew person would um, you know have had their attention called back right. to things in right. their past when they read it. And then the fourth clue is um, grace and judgment. Where in the passage do you see examples of God being gracious to sinners, and where in the passage do you see examples? of God judging sinners. Um, Mm. And so Jim Hamilton um, in his book, God's glory and salvation through judgment argues that the center of the Bible is that God shows his glory um, in saving people through judgment. If that's true, then every text that you read is going to have some aspects of grace and judgment that show God's power and glory. And so you have, you have grace here with the the miracle and the, and the healing of Jericho. Um, And then you have, you have judgment here uh, with the judgment on the, and we'll talk more about why on the judgment of the boys uh, at Bethel, but that obviously the grace and the judgment mm-hmm. of God meets in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I just walk through those four clues. Uh, how old are the boys? So that's, that's a point of contention here is that there's, you know, there are some people who think when it says small boys that like we're talking about toddlers or something like that, um, when that may not be the case, okay, uh, it, it may be that, uh, no, number one, the same word that's used here, th- translated in Second Kings as small boys, is the same word used in First Kings 12 to talk about Rehoboam listening to his peers that he grew up with rather than listening to the elders of Israel. So it's possible these are adolescents or even moving towards like young adulthood. Um and so it's not; it may not be boys uh, necessarily. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that Bethel 
is the central shrine city in the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, it's the center of idolatry. They've actually recreated a golden calf. Um, and so it's possible other scholars have, have um, you know, suggested or hypothesized that these these young people may be like seminary students in Baal Seminary or something like that. Um, and so that so they may be adolescents or teenagers. It may not be that these like four year olds are being torn apart by bears. Why bears? That's a great question. Um, the I don't know if there's a specific answer to that question other than um, the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 26, uh, verse 21 and 22, then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beast against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy mm. your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And so it could be just because they've, so what's happening here is when they, there are other scholars who point out that when they say, go up bald head, go up bald head in, in chapter two, when Elijah and Elisha are taking this trip before Elijah sends into heaven, every place they stop, the sons of the prophets come out to Elisha and they say, don't you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And Elijah's like, yeah, I know, guys. Be quiet. Shut up about it. But the word translated there, your master, is literally the word head. And mm-hmm. so um, so the idea could be that, that Elisha's not actually bald at all, that they're calling out to the fact that, that his head is uncovered, that he's lost Elijah, and Elijah could call fire out of heaven, but you can't, you can't do that, so you're in danger, so you need to get out of here. Now, what they're when they say you need to, you know, g- go up, get out of here, that you're uncovered. Um, either what's happening is that it's showing that these young people are like their forefathers in Bethel, who rejected the worship of the Lord in, in, in favor of this golden calf and in, in favor of idolatry, and so they're saying, "Hey, listen, we've already rejected the word of God before. Um, your what your your ministry is no good here. You need to go away," or. They're, if they're not mocking the word of God, they're mocking the man of God. And they're saying, hey, you're not God's man, so you need to, you need to get out of here. Um, Elisha shows what happens when you reject the word of God or the man of God. And he's like, hey, Elijah could call fire out of heaven. I can call bears out of the woods. Um, you know, you need to be warned about what's happening here. But it's also a warning to the nation that if you persist in idolatry, if you persist in rejecting the Lord, then the Lord will bring in the wild beasts who are going to tear you out of your land. Now we know that that, that there are places where that happened, that can happen literally. And then we see in Daniel seven, for example, and, and in the Psalms um, where that happens symbolically, where the nations are described as beasts who come in and, and devour uh, the vine of Israel and remove them from the land. You've, you've, you've hit on aspects of this, but, you know, the, the reason we've chosen this as one of the hard texts is because unbelievers will look at something like this and say, see, what kind of God would allow for his prophet to call bears out of the woods to kill uh, boys, uh, mall boys? So two, a couple of things with that, just setting that up. Uh, one, what would you say to an unbeliever who said that? Two, did you address it when you preach it? Have you Do you sort of like speak to unbelievers and say, hey, okay, I know why some people find this to be a hard text. But here's what you need to consider. So, so work us through that. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, so 
So one, in just an apologetic sense, I deal with the fact that if you have a problem with Elisha and the Bears, ultimately you have a problem with God holding people accountable. Mm. And so, and so, um, you know, we can have a discussion about the ways that he does that or whatever, but ultimately that's God's prerogative. Um, I don't, in this sermon, I've used it before in the, in the Noah's Ark, and I'm sure, I think we've done this on this podcast, but you know, the, the, the story of back to the future when, um, they, they filmed almost the entire first film with a different actor than Michael J. Fox. And when screen tests were done and everything, people were, and people were looking at the footage like, this guy's just not funny. He's not connecting. He comes off as like kind of a jerk. And they're like, so the director like scrapped the whole thing and like reshot it with Michael J. Fox. And so we, any of us would say like if an artist is painting a, a thing and he, he gets to the point where he thinks, man, what I've done, I don't like it. So he scraps it and starts with a new canvas and, and starts to create uh, this work of art again, that the creator has the right to hold his creation accountable and, and to, and to, to judge it and to critique it if he doesn't, if he doesn't like what it's, you know, what it looks like, what it's doing. And so that's, that's what God does. And then, and then i try to point out too, that like, anytime you say that's not fair or you complain about injustice or why do bad things happen to good people? Or when is all this suffering going to end? Then you're crying out for God to judge. And the only problem with that is if he's going to do that, then that means he also, he also has to do that with you. Now, the good news is, and where I, where I end this is to say, look, um, God didn't, God honestly did not remain distant from the problem of evil and suffering or even from his own judgment. And so in the same way that like potentially this guy, you know, is being made fun of for, for being, being called bald, um, Jesus had his hair torn away from his face um, and and was strapped to a cross and and experienced the judgment of God against the sin of the world, not his sin, other people's sin and idolatry. And, and so ultimately God took the judgment upon himself so that sinners could be forgiven and shown mercy. And so, you know, we can have a conversation about you know, not liking maybe the way, some of the ways that God would judge or hold people accountable, but it's a reality. It's a reality that you want, and it's a reality that points you to Jesus. Talk through. So obviously, that's you, you would least use. That's part of how you you point to Christ. Anything else you did there? But also, how did you then say, okay, here's application from both setting up why this happened, even some of your apologetic work, uh, the Christocentric work, but then application from there. Yeah, so the, the ways I point to Christ, I mean, I've mentioned some of those already, the, the discipleship aspect and the giving of the Spirit. Uh, the flashbacks are ultimately meant to show us that um, Elisha is is a new Joshua. And I, don't, I can't really in a podcast show, but um, there, there's this, when they're replaying the, the movements of the Exodus and the conquest, um, they're showing that there needs to be a new conquest because the purpose of the conquest was not simply for the Israelites to remove the Canaanites and the Amalekites and the Jebusites so that they could take the land. They were, they were commissioned by God to go in and to rid the land of idolatry. And now the land is filled again with Baal worship and idolatry. And so there needs to be a new Exodus and there needs to be a new conquest. And, and he's, he's making these 
points clear with the whole crossing of the Jordan on on dry ground. And then when he does, when when Elisha does cross back in, coming from the east to the west side, first place he goes is Jericho. Second place he goes is Bethel, which is AI, which is where AI would have been. And so he's he's reliving that exact same. Not Allen Iverson, uh, in case you're wondering. Right, not a, not Allen Iverson, great basketball player. Not the player. answer. Yep. <laughs> but he is he, and it's showing there needs to be a new conquest where the land is is um it, you know is is cleansed of idolatry. And so what what happens in on the east side on the east side of the Jordan River, Elijah ascends into heaven. They 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 he without dying, he leaves his spirit on Joshua and actually on Elisha, and then Elisha goes into the land. Well, what else happens in the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan River? Well, Moses dies there, but they can't find his grave. Before he dies, his spirit is imparted to Joshua. Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River on dry ground. And the first place he goes is Jericho, and the second place he goes is Ai. And and so you're seeing this, I, this trajectory. Joshua was the one who was anointed by God to rid the land of idolatry. Elisha, the same which he's going to do through anointing Jehu. He's going to wipe out the house of Ahab. Um, and then also what happens on the east side of the Jordan River, and we're, it's made very clear in, in John's gospel, what happens on the east side of the Jordan River? Well, there's a guy out there named John the Baptist, who's who? The new Elijah, <laughs> right? And he he baptizes the new Joshua, and uh, he Yeshua. receives the Spirit when he does, Yeshua. And then he goes in to do his ministry. And what is his ministry? It's a ministry of miracles and it's a mir- in the ministry of judgment. Okay. And that's the last way I point to Christ is just the grace and judgment aspect. You can point to, to Jesus in terms of the grace. We see here Elisha pouring out this blessing on Jericho. And this is just a foreshadowing of all the things that he's going to do in his ministry, which, which are cleanse lepers, multiply food, raise the dead. Like, you know, does that sound familiar at all? Anybody mm-hmm. else do that in the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> you know, good. and then, yeah. and then the judgment here and Jesus, the same Jesus um, who preached the Sermon on the Mount and who healed the lepers and, and fed the 5,000 and raised the dead is also going to, is also going to cast demons, um, you know, out and he's going to cleanse the temple uh, and he's going to return you know, riding on a white horse and he's going to judge, he's going to judge the world with the sword that comes out of his mouth. And so, um, so all of these are the kind of ways that I pointed to Jesus. That's good. Finish us up to, to, today with, uh, application, uh, how you kind of went from there and, and made it clear and plain for what we should take away as we go home after reading a text like that. Yeah, I think the main the main thing that I focus on is this idea of how, what are ways that you reject the authority of God, okay, because they they're either rejecting the Word of God or the man that God has has put in. And so, what are ways that you reject the authority of God? And so, and it could and so that could be just as simple as throwing off whatever authority God has placed in your life. Do you talk back to your parents? Do you, you know, badmouth your coaches? Because well, I could have made it to the NBA if my coach hadn't held me back, you know, um, do you, do you talk bad about your boss behind their back? You know, how do you, how do you respond to your husband? How do you respond to your pastors? You know, Hebrews 13 is, are you making this something they can do with joy? Or are you making this difficult for them? And so just authority itself, are you, are you throwing off authority, but then specifically the authority of the word? 
and and trying to think through what are the ways because because uh, most of the time when I'm, when I'm preaching this, I'm preaching it in context where people would say that they're Christians and say that they believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so, what are the ways that we will either yeah, but the Bible, or ways that we might you know try to put a spiritual veneer on on rebellion that we're doing? And so, it could be something as simple as, well, I know what the Bible says about divorce, but I also know God wants me to be happy. Um, it, it could be something as simple as, you know, I know the Bible says I should give, but I don't really have enough to do that right now. I, I know the Bible says I should, um, should share the gospel with my unbelieving friend, but I don't want to jeopardize that relationship. Maybe if I'm patient, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to wait long enough where, you know, it, it won't be an awkward conversation when I tell them that they're a sinner, he's going to go potentially go to hell. Um, and so just trying to think through what are those ways that we subversively, um, you know, don't submit to the scriptures and, and then calling them to repentance and, um, and walking in, in, you know, not reject, not throwing off the authority of the Lord. Mm. That's good. Um, we do have, so video of, of you actually diagramming out some of the things you walk through, uh, it, when you did the conference, the first ever Christ and clear conference. And so maybe we can get that link dropped into the uh, show notes so people can see, sort of how you traced out some of those movements, particularly um, on the on the east side there. Uh, so be looking for that. We do appreciate you listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. Next week, we're going to continue this series on tough passages in the Old Testament with the book of Nehemiah. And that's a book that sometimes is taught. Uh, it's kind of a tool to help pastors raise money to build a church building. But is that why the book of Nehemiah was written? Well, join us in two weeks as we talk about that. Uh, and think through that and show how it reveals Jesus on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at Christ-CenteredAndClear.com and please visit us at Christ-CenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.